Hello everybody, I'm Dr. Weber, and I'm gonna take you through effective teaching skills in physical education. Um, personally, I've been teaching in the field of physical and health education for 16 years. It started in 2005 at a camp where I was teaching athletics and swim to people from the ages of five to 16. Uh, I got my physical education degree at SUNY Brockport and a master's in health education, as well as a doctorate in educational leadership with an emphasis on curriculum instruction and assessment. So evaluating teachers, uh, instructing teachers, and preparing teachers is really my responsibility here at the university. I help people learn how to include individuals with disabilities. I help people learn how to adapt and regress and progress exercises. Uh, with my background in yoga, functional range conditioning, and certified personal training, I've been working with um, people from various ages, from the ages of five all the way to 90. Um, I have been working in the corporate setting, uh, public setting, studio setting. I've worked at Be Unlimited Yoga. I've worked at um, IKA as a yoga instructor, uh, O2 Fitness as a yoga instructor, a personal trainer at Matt Skelly Training, um, also a personal trainer at O2 Fitness, um, strength and conditioning coach, uh, assistant with uh, UNCW, uh, working with mobility with the athletes. I've worked with the softball, soccer, basketball, volleyball, and um, swim team. So I've worked with athletes, I've worked with people with disabilities, I've worked with older individuals, I've worked with high school students, middle school students, and elementary students. My first job was in 2009 in the elementary setting as an after-school teacher. Um, this was after my camp setting in 2005, so it was my second opportunity in the school setting was in 2009 as an elementary PE uh, after-school teacher. And then I became an interim PE and health teacher at a middle school, uh, and then I've been I went into substitute teaching uh, and I've been really since 2012 working within our department to set up partnerships between um, our college students and students within the community. So typically PED 387 involves us partnering up with Isaac Bear early college students and we get to teach them things like yoga, strength training, ultimate frisbee, soccer, uh, also do things like handball and volleyball. So we teach them sports skills, fitness skills, um, conditioning, mobility, stretching, and uh, strength and conditioning. So all these things we usually get to teach them in the face-to-face uh, -face realm, but uh, since, the, since COVID has happened, we're not able to work with people face-to-face. -face. So I'm going to take you through effective teaching skills in physical education, and I'm going to give you as much information as I can here today to help prepare you to lesson plan assess and to uh, peer teach. So you're going to have a peer teaching assignment coming up pretty soon. I'll have more information on that and this PowerPoint will help you get to that um, assignment. So what are effective teaching skills? Effective teaching skills. When intentional decisions and actions carried out by the teacher before and during class result in the achievement of stated learning goals. Okay. So when you have an intention, a set purpose, and students reach that set purpose or intention, or the goal of the class is reached by all of your students or 80% of your students, then you can say you're an effective teacher. But if most of the students are not learning and most of the students aren't reaching uh, their potential, then that is not effective teaching. Uh, there is 25 years of research behind uh, effective teaching. If you wanna look in the International Journal of Physical Education or Journal of Teaching, in physical education, you'll learn a lot about what is a high quality effective instructor. And if you wanna be the best instructor or teacher or trainer or coach, you have to understand um, 
how to make the right decisions to get to the right uh, outcomes. So identification of teacher and student behaviors that correlate strongly with increased levels of student behavior. So what is a correlation? So research on effective teaching in PE and health. Okay, what is a correlation? A, a relationship exists between two variables. So this is kind of like the science behind effective teaching. When one variable changes, we can predict what will happen to the other variable. Effective teaching skills are those that teacher decisions and actions that correlate with higher levels of student learning. So effective teachers are correlated with higher levels of learning. So the higher, the more effective of a teacher you are, the more learning will occur. And that's what we want. We want highly effective teachers to come out of our program. By doing certain things and getting students to do certain things, teachers increase the possibility of student learning. And that's the main focus. Okay, here's an example of students learning on their own after being instructed how to uh, manipulate a ultimate disc. Okay, so ultimate Frisbee, we're gonna be learning ultimate Frisbee strategies in this course, as well as yoga, as well as soccer, handball, basketball, and uh, strength and conditioning. So ultimate Frisbee, you wanna first teach the students the game, how it's played, where it's played, why it's played, um, and then you give them an opportunity just to use the disc itself and say, all right, just throw it up in the air, catch it 10 times, and now we're gonna perform a different skill. So this would be an example of students learning uh, a skill such as just flipping and catching. So just getting used to uh, the disc. Effective teaching skills in PE. So there's seven categories of re related decisions and actions. So you have to decide through planning, time and class management, task presentation structure, communication, instructional information, use of questions, review and closure. So these are the seven categories of related decisions and actions that you have to make before class. So here's an example of a, of a, a teacher uh, teaching professionally with a collared shirt on um, in the physical education setting. Wherever your studio or your, your um, center is, they're gonna have mandatory dress codes. So whether it's a collared shirt or maybe it's just wearing the university's logo or your company's logo, whatever it is. Um, so she's teaching using a whiteboard. Looks like she has a um, task presentation. It looks like there's some structure to that. Looks like she's communicating with the students. Looks like she might be asking them questions to be a good way to close a class, you know, in front of a whiteboard. Uh, maybe she's talking about the time and class management on the whiteboard. And whiteboards are a great way to um, show that you've planned something for your students, right? So planning, let's talk about planning first. Effective teaching does not happen by accident. So you don't just go out there and, and randomly teach the best class of your life. That might be something that happens once in a while, but as teachers progress, we understand that the better teacher you are, the more well-prepared you're gonna be through planning. The potential success of a lesson might be determined before it even begins, okay? So if you hadn't planned for a class that you're about to teach, uh, it's already determined that the class is not gonna be a good outcome, okay? Teachers who are better prepared for before class use class time and other resources more efficiently, increase appropriate student engagement and promote higher levels of student learning. So the more that you plan and the more prepared you are for class and the more time you spent looking at the resources, um, the more you're able to uh, engage in, in learning, right? And engage in social reciprocity with your students, to be able to give feedback, to be able to give assessment, to give um, 
high quality, effective instructor and give people more one-on-one, -on -one. okay? Written preparation is not always necessary for experienced teacher, but it usually is for beginning teachers. So for beginning teachers, you do need to prepare more than experienced teachers because experienced teachers have the knowledge, have the tools and resources and have the effective teaching, hopefully um, years of experience to be able to go out and, and teach without a plan. Now in the beginning, you have to kind of prove yourself, right? You can't just go into a school or a yoga studio or a strength and conditioning weight room and say, oh, I'm just gonna um, use what's in my head. They're gonna be like, no, can we see what you, um, what you teach or what you plan and how you create units and how you create your curriculum? Like, we wanna see. They're gonna ask for that type of material. So the more prepared you are for that, the more prepared you will be to be an effective teacher. So that's what this course is trying to prepare you for. You are gonna be creating lesson plans in this course, okay? Planning, okay, you have unit and lesson planning should contain learning goals and objectives. I'm sorry, this is so small. I'm gonna to have to zoom in here. Not sure what happened. So we have learning goals and objectives, okay? Managerial material or plan, uh, task presentation, activities and cues, needed equipment and facilities, transition information and grouping information, individualized techniques and extensions, motivation techniques and challenges, safety considerations, assessment, closure, and review. So this would be what a lesson plan should contain. So let's talk about learning goals and objectives. So learning goals and objectives are gonna come from state and national standards, and we'll talk more about that later. Your managerial plan might be how you're going to coordinate the class. You're gonna have a task presentation Okay, you're always going to present in some type of way, whether it's through um, video, PowerPoint, or maybe you're showing them a PowerPoint or a, a whiteboard. Activities and cues. Each activity should have different cues associated with the skill. So a skill such as catching with a gator clap and an um, ultimate frisbee would be a cue. Uh, need equipment and facilities. So what do you need to get the assignment done or the lesson done? Transition information, grouping information. So if you're gonna group students anyway, make sure that's prepared before class. Individualized technique and extension. So how are you gonna regress and progress each exercise? How are you gonna make it easier for people and how are you gonna make it um, harder? And then motivation techniques and challenges. How are you gonna motivate individuals? What types of challenges are you gonna add? You know, just like the progressions and regressions. Safety considerations, Are you gonna how are you gonna um, create a safe environment for the student? and assessment. Assessment, how are you going to know that your student has learned? What, are, what type of proof are you gonna have after the lesson is over that your student has learned? And we'll talk a lot about assessment. And then closure and review. After your um, class, make sure that you always close with a review of what you did and talk about why you did what you did. So academic learning time. Okay, academic learning time is the amount of time the learner spends at an appropriate level of difficulty with the content to be learned is to be, is the single most critical instructional variable related to student learning. So let's read that over. The amount of time the learner spends at an appropriate level of difficulty with the content to be learned is the single most critical instructional variable related to student learning. So 
while they're in this learning zone, while they are um, in appropriate level of difficulty, this is the single most critical instructional variable related to student learning. So if they're at a difficult that is a little bit too high, it's, they're not going to be in a good um, instructional um, uh, appropriate setting. And if it's too low, again, you want to make it just right. Support comes from studies in classroom research and physical education. So this is research-based. Um, appropriate level of activity of difficulty is defined as a level with a high success rate. And studies show that st students are in academic learning time less than 30% of the time. So most of the time, students aren't in this academic learning time. We call it Alt-PE. And that is basically just um, uh, when the student has an appropriate level of difficulty with the content to be learned. Okay, so lesson planning. Here's an example of some lesson planning. Um, this uh, link will be available to you because you have the PowerPoint, and this is going to show you different um, lesson plans and different uh, videos that go along with those lesson plans. So you'll have an example of lesson planning and videos. So I'd like you to watch one of these on your own time. And I'd also, also like you to look through the lesson plans that are in here. So for example, this is the lesson plan that we use in physical education and health. And you'll be creating a lesson plan using uh, this template. And you can go ahead and on your own time, look through some of these exercises and workouts and, and, and see what type of planning um, physical education teachers will be preparing for. Okay, this will give you a good example of that. All right, so in your peer teaching, you'll be creating a, a mini lesson plan and a video, and your students are going to evaluate that. So that's why it's called the peer teaching assignment. So you're going to teach, uh, you're going to first create a lesson plan, create a video, and then you're going to show that video to your peers, and your peers are going to evaluate you. More information on that will be in the uh, peer teaching assignment. All right, let's go back to lesson planning and beyond. So we have academic learning time or ALT-PE like we call it, uh, seven factors, several factors are involved in considering the issue of what is appropriate practice. So how do we know what is appropriate? One is success rate, okay? Classroom research found that around 80% seems to be the magic number, also recommended for PE and it varies by skill. So if 80% of your students are doing exactly what you need them to be doing, you're in academic learning time. So that is, that is good. But if you see that you know, only 20% of the people are able to do what you're asking them to do, then, then most of the class is, is, is not learning, okay? So um, how do we help each student reach the success rate, okay? Well, we can, you know, contribute to the learning goal. We can, um, you know, work one-on-one -on -one more with people that need our help. We can, we can have more accommodations and more modifications, and we can think about strategies before class begins for people with disabilities or people with hearing impairments so that they can get the full instruction. A second factor related to appropriate practice is the potential con contribution of the practice to what the teacher is trying to teach. Task has to be related to the learning goal. Okay, if the task isn't, isn't related to a learning goal, what's the point? If you're trying to get strong, but you're only passively stretching, then you're not going to um, contribute to the learning goal. Okay, so you have to make sure that the practice is what the goal is intended. The quality of practice, okay? A third factor really do the notion of appropriate practice is the quality of the practice. 
cognitive engagement of the learner versus rote practice. So are they cognitively engaged? Are they thinking about what they are doing? Or are they just going through the motions? Or are you, the teacher, just going through the motions? Are you just reading off a list and, and not really paying attention to your students and checking your phone? Uh, or are you considering each student's special needs and each student's uh, unique needs, okay? So all grade instructors are going to um, look to engage with all students, especially those who need the most engagement, okay? Teachers' use of time. So you're aiming for high amounts of Alt-PE, okay? Um, studies on the use of time are alarming, okay? Metzler's time funnel, that's something you might wanna check out. In general, the teacher will want to have maximum activity time, but there are times when the following should be considered. Time working on a good learning environment is well time spent. So the more pleasant you can make your learning environment, for example, you can see my face, um, it's not dark here. Um, the computer's not at this angle, okay? I have a, a background that is pretty clear. Um, you can, you know, you can see the screen. I'm trying to focus on a good learning environment for you, okay? Because that is going to be time well spent. Now, if there's distractions going on and there's cats in the background, all this stuff's going on, and people are going in and out of my house right now, then that might be a, a poor learning environment. Uh, teaching routines will actually increase practice time in later sessions a lesson. So once you develop teaching routines, uh, for example, my teaching routine when I teach class is I always start with breathing and mobility and the different body parts. And then I always go into activation or kind of core stabilization exercises. And then I get into dynamic stretching, some movement stretches. And then I get into more power explosive running, um, throwing, or slamming a ball, and then I get into the actual strength training or the core work or whatever the workout or whatever the focus is. Maybe it's a sport. If I'm teaching PE, maybe it's, um, maybe I'm working a full body day in yoga or a full body day in strength training. So it just depends on, you know, what you're doing. Maybe it's a conditioning day and you still need to warm up that way. You're still going to start with breathing, still going to start with mobility. If you're teaching a yoga class, you're going to probably start with breathing. You're going to start with low intensity movements. If you're teaching aquatics, you're going to start with some outdoor pool activities like breathing. You're going to do some mobility. If you're teaching strength training, right, you're going to still warm up. Maybe you're using a foam roller. Maybe you're doing some specific um, stretches for people with injuries, okay? So you're always warming people up. I'm always gonna warm you up. And then I'm gonna have some type of core activity, whether it's full body workout, whether it's learning how to punt or pass in football, whether it's playing soccer and learning how to trap and kick and pass, you know, that type of thing. So I'm always gonna have a, a routine for my class. Teachers will spend more time in instruction for certain activities or at the start of a new unit. So you're gonna progress for each unit. So when you're teaching soccer, for example, um, you're gonna start off pretty slow. You're not gonna be playing a soccer game on the first day. You might talk about um, what soccer is, why people play it. You might go over the strategies for inclusion of soccer. So what are we gonna do if someone can't use their legs? Uh, or what are we gonna do if we only have this amount of space? Or you know, talking about the logistics of how you're gonna teach them soccer, right? And then you're gonna talk about where it's from. You might talk about how to, how to manipulate the ball. So you might have some strategies to get them used to playing soccer, maybe passing, dribbling, shooting. And then you might get into some drills and then you might get into some gameplay. 
Okay, so you're gonna spend more time in instructing. Maybe it's the pass because you know passing is the most important thing in soccer. So you might be really focusing on passing and trapping for the first couple of weeks, right? And then you're getting into shooting, then you're getting into maybe throw-ins and, and maybe uh, goalkeeper, but you're gonna have to progress. Safety, so stopping play if necessary, explaining rules again if needed. That's a lot of, that's, a, that's something that many teachers don't do. They don't stop um, for sport, particularly um, during a game to say, hey, you know, that's, you know, that's a foul or um, that's not, you know, these are the rules. You might have to re-explain them. If somebody steps over the line when they throw the ball in in soccer, they, you know, they would, the other team would get the ball. So you have to be cognizant of the rules. So when, when the students break a rule, you have to stop and tell them no. If it's a yoga class, if somebody is doing something that looks unsafe or dangerous, you're gonna have to go and talk to that individual. You wouldn't say it to the whole class, unless you saw a couple people doing it, you say, all right, you know, I see that many people have their right foot off the ground. Go ahead and put your right foot back on the ground. So don't be afraid to stop if necessary and explain what needs to happen, okay? Affective and cognitive goals may require students interacting. So cognitive skills are those of understanding. Do the students understand you? Can they speak to you? Can they, um, or can they communicate with you that allows them to express themselves. Um, and also affective, that is socializing. Can they socialize and interact appropriately with each other? Can they share equipment without um, um, fighting or bickering? Are they, um, do, they, do they get really sad if they lose? Okay, so those would be affective and cognitive goals. So maybe my goal is for the students to cooperate with each other while playing a game of soccer without any without any um, fouls and without any um, using harsh language, okay? So maybe that's a goal and that's an affective and cognitive goal. Expectancy effects. So the relationship between teacher expectations for student behavior and the actual achievement of the student, okay? So classroom research shows us that students achieve more when their teachers believe they can achieve. Okay, so when we believe that our students can achieve they're more likely to achieve. Students who, who teachers like, like high achievers, boys receive more teacher help and attention than students that teachers do not like, like low achievers or girls. So that is a, um, research that has shown that uh, men will favor boys and not favor girls and, or other teachers will favor um, who they prefer or who they may like look in the mirror and look like, oh, you know, that reminds me of me when I was younger. Well, no, students, um, all students should not be judged uh, by this color of their skin or by their gender or their ability type. Okay, all individuals have the capability to be successful. And as a teacher, you have to be inclusive. You have to be, um, you have to give people the attention that they deserve. And in physical education, especially because you can ignite, um, you can ignite some um, fighting by, um, behaving that way by picking students um, that you like over other students. And then other students will see you do that and they'll do that later in their life. So you have a significant impact when you are teaching. A significant relationship between teacher expectations and um, alt of students. So the, that alt or the alternative learning time where they're in that appropriate zone. So there's a, um, 
a relationship between a teacher expectations and the time they're spending in that zone. And then there's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you've never heard of that, basically it means that when you think that you can achieve something, or if you set a goal and you believe it's going to happen, that it will happen. So one, believing in yourself and believing in the student is going to be the key to uh, success. So time and class management, okay, time management. The most consistent finding in research is that there is a strong relationship between how students spend time in PE class and how much they achieve. The more students spend an appropriate task, the more likely they are to achieve. So we know that physical activity is related to success and cognitive achievement. So the healthier you are physically, the healthier you are cognitively, okay? Class management, a direct relationship exists between the teacher's skills as a manager and student learning. So you're more than just a teacher, you're also a classroom manager. You have to make sure that the classroom is in order, it's in working condition, the environment is safe, you have the amount of tools and resources you need to do what you need to do as a teacher. You cannot be an effective teacher until you are first an effective manager, okay? You have to be able to manage your time wisely. Behavior and organization, a really important and sore and sore study. That's something that you can look up on your own time. The effective behaviors in decreasing the occurrence of inattentive and disruptive behavior. So you have different types of um, ways you can um, work with behavior. So there's a signal inference and that's employing eye contact, hand gestures and other teacher behaviors that reduce inattentive behaviors. So maybe if someone's not giving you any attention, maybe you just give them a subtle uh, eye gaze and say, you know, are you, are you paying attention? Or, you know, hey, are you, I'm over here, you know, so just little behaviors to avoid that inattentive behavior. And then there's proximity control. So touching or standing near the disruptive student while communicating that the teacher is concerned, but not upset. So maybe if you're walking near a student, uh, maybe you're just, you just kind of um, walk near them as, as they're talking, or maybe they're being inattentive. Maybe you just walk near them. You don't, you maybe put your hand on your shoulder, like, hey, how's it going? That type of thing, but nothing um, uh, aggressive. So tension release using humor, which releases tension in the classroom. So that can always help um, affect um, decreasing those uh, behavior outcomes, those uh, negative ones, and then support from routine. So using schedules, assignments, and general class practices that provide a class routine. So once you have established a class routine or structure, like, okay, we're going to start with our warm up, we're going to do our stretches, we're going to do our breathing, then we're going to do our activation. Now we're going to do our core focus, and then we're going to do our closure. So having that routine is going to help with those negative behaviors. Removal of seductive materials, so removing athletic equipment outside reading or other materials that encourage inattentive or disruptive behavior. So if you go, if students go into a gym and they see hula hoops all over the gym, what are they gonna to wanna to do? Play with the hula hoops, right? But let's just say you're playing football that day and you don't want them to think about the hula hoops, then you don't want those hula hoops in the way. So that's what it means when it says removal of seductive materials, because they might want to use what is out there. So if you're teaching something in yoga and you have all these really cool things out and you're like, oh, we're not using those, well, that might be a, a distraction. And they set the removal, so asking a child who is disrupted to get a drink of water or run an errand. So if someone's doing something they shouldn't be doing in class, maybe just tell them to go get some water or have them run an errand, maybe that will help. Okay, so here's a way that student, uh, teachers can um, try, uh, 
plot or uh, can look at success or, and measure success. You look here and you see that you have students who can move all the way forward. And if they're able to move forward, they are able to also, on, let's see here. Let me see. All right, and good, okay. So students can move from one end of the field all the way to the other end of the field. So if a student or a class does something good, they can move all the way up. This would be a, a kind of a way to assess student progress or classroom progress in an elementary, middle, or high school setting. Okay, time and class management, uh, how to maximize student practice time. So set out equipment before class, have it all ready to go. Um, make sure that you are able, especially in these times, have the distance you need to spread apart because of COVID. Use an alternative roll call method if you have to. Use attention and start signals. Maybe it's bringing the arm up to start, bringing the arm down to stop, or maybe bringing your hands up. Whatever it is, you got to have attention, start signals for things that you do. Uh, practice and review classroom management techniques, post-class rules in public, and use an instant activity. It's always a good idea to have an instant activity for your students, whether it's a breathing activity, uh, a fun uh, talking activity, maybe it's just to get to know each other, but always have some type of instant activity um, ready for your students. So here's a, a teacher talking to all their students. Notice that they're in a half circle so that the teacher can see all the students and you always want to be able to see all of your students. You never want to be uh, uh, in front of any students or you don't want to have students behind you because then it feels like you're not talking to them and that's not never a good thing and that's how students can be disruptive. So you can um, always you know create uh, little themes for units and lesson plans in any way that you want and post them and this is obviously more elementary, middle, or high school, but you can obviously think of what you might be able to create for a studio or a strength and conditioning um, gym. Uh, so instant activities, uh, there's many different types and examples and characteristics. So there is eight characteristics of instant activity when performing uh, uh, warmups. So they should require a little setup, if no setup at all, or probably body weight. Uh, task can just be five minutes to complete. So maybe it's just a breathing exercise. Maybe it's a, a mobility routine. Maybe it's a um, conversation. So it's easy to learn. Can begin with little help from the teacher. Get students moving quickly. So make sure whatever it is, you they are moving. If they are talking, socializing, they are moving. Maybe it's a dance. Use large muscle activities. So try not to just like work like your hands and your toes. You know, obviously try to use your arms, your legs. Designed for maximal success and are modifiable. Examples are, you know, throwing and catching with somebody for a couple minutes, jogging and walking to music, dancing to music, stretching, yoga, non-elimination non tag games, uh, mini games, cooperative games, practicing with equipment to be used later, jump rope and, and other activities. So here's an example of students trotting or skipping or sliding down um, a, a piece of grass here, and it looks like they're going down and back. Uh, it looks like they're dynamic stretching as a warm up. Here's another instant activity where the teacher is leading some high knees, some dynamic stretching before they get into their volleyball skills. 
here's another instant activity where they are working together to manipulate the ball around their waist. So they're getting their arms going and they're using some affective learning outcomes. So kind of cooperating with each other. Here's some students that are working on some crab catching or some dribbling skills. Uh, this might be an activity that students can do before they get into, you know, more um, uh, bigger skills in basketball, like passing and shooting. They can work on some dribbling skills. So that would be an instant activity in sport. And then you have some different instant activities that you could just set up right when they walk in. So they could come in, start skipping, do figure eight, start interval, and then maybe a calf stretch. So you can always create these activities on whiteboards, on big pieces of paper, because if they are going to be a routine or staple in your exercise program, you can always create a, um, a structure for them. Here's some uh, activities going on. It looks like they're playing uh, knee tag. So all you got to do is just tap the other opponent's knee, which is called this knee tag. It'd be a simple, quick activity. Here's just a pass and catch with the ultimate Frisbee. Maybe they're going up the field as they're passing and catching it with each other to kind of mimic the game. So that would be a pre-skill or a prerequisite to playing the game is learning how to pass and throw at the same time. So class management, the orchestra, conductor, you that is what you are. I mean, you are trying to establish a learning environment. You're trying to manage the facilities and equipment and you're monitoring during all of the learning activities. You wanna be circulating. You wanna have that proximity control and you wanna have with itness. So you wanna be there, you wanna see your students, you wanna work with your students, you wanna to talk to your students, you wanna circulate, you wanna be presently known, you wanna be with it, you always wanna be thinking the whole time. So here's an example of a yoga class out there uh, at the, um, the old rec fields there by, um, let's see, that's by the gazebo, gazebo fields if you know where those are. Um, that's by the rec center. We used to go over there with 387 students and, um, now we go over to the new rec fields and we're also in our Hanover gym. But here we have just, you know, it looks like he's circulating around the students. You know, he's with it. It looks like he's focusing and uh, it looks like it's, it's pretty well structured. Grouping students. So you can have peer groups. So you can have students make their own groups. You can um, create groups before class. And this is going to help with cooperative learning, especially in physical education. And if you are um, taking this type of teaching to the yoga uh, room, you can also have uh, cooperative learning if you're teaching yoga seminars or strength and conditioning. Um, you might not have so much, but you're going to want to have some type of camaraderie uh, interplay as a, as a coach to get your, your athletes to, um, to bond. So effective management skills to keep groups on task. So you want to have good management skills, you know, maybe it's coloring their uniform. So, you know, who's on what team or who's on what side group by skill level rather than gender. So don't ever group individuals based on gender, base it on maybe um, height or weight or not weight, but height is usually a good way. And then also by skill, right? So if you know that there's really skill two skilled individuals, make sure they're on the different teams and never have them be captains either. Always perform, always give them the groups beforehand so people don't feel left out. So task presentation. So how to present information, uh, get and keep student attention. That's the hardest thing to do. Obviously, if you're watching this now, I've kept your attention. Maybe you've taken a break or maybe you're just really with it, right? 
the best information will not be affected if the students are not listening. So if you're not listening to this, if you didn't listen to any of the things I said, then what's the point, right? So hopefully you're still here with me. I'd like you to ask questions often and you should ask questions often to your students. You wanna check for understanding. You always wanna ask them if they understand or if they feel confident in their learning. You wanna make frequent eye contact with your students and make sure that they know that you're paying attention. You don't wanna to avoid too much information that is repeated. You don't wanna say the same thing over and over and over again, unless it's a, it's a mantra. And then use proximity control. Make sure that you're around students in appropriate ways and make it interesting and snappy. Try not to wait get it going right away. People want you to bring the energy. So task presentation continued, how to present information and present information clearly. So you wanna have well-placed, visible, and you wanna be audible. So you want people to hear you, you want people to um, see you, and you want people to also see you pace yourself, okay? You don't want to just go too fast into a unit or too slow into your unit. You wanna go nice and, nice and paced. So provide a full and correct model, provide verbal and visual information together, use an active pres task presentation when possible, use a vocabulary the students understand and don't overload the students with information. So here's some um, different ways you can teach information to your students to help them learn and be successful in the high school setting. Okay, communication, okay, clearest explanations in shortest time. So if you can talk about things in a short time, it's always gonna be the best thing, especially during physical activity when you wanna get them moving. You wanna be clear, uh, try not to um, say, oh, like I just did, you know, try to really be forthright with what you say. Use appropriate vocab level. Uh, don't talk about words that may not be relevant. Use voice inflection, so change the tone of your voice. Don't, Try not to have a monotone and check for understanding and make sure that your students are always understanding. Okay, here's an example of some a game here where there's four different groups. They run out to the middle, take a ball and dribble it back to the corner. Providing instructional cues, guides and feedback information may be given before a task. Alert students to key parts of the school activity and types of cues. So you have verbal, nonverbal combination and you have media. So cues can be verbal or nonverbal. You can give them a sign for something that you'd like them to do or verbal where you actually tell them explicitly what to do. Or it can be a combination. Now cues are really important because cues are gonna help the learner uh, perform the task. And sometimes you use an analogy as a, as a cue. And we'll talk about analogies as cues at a later time. So providing instructional cues, guides, and feedback information, guides information while students are performing a skill or involved in an activity. So this would be some type of an assessment where individuals jot their progress. And this guide and information will help them get more involved with the activity. So if they're teaching, if you're teaching them strength and conditioning, maybe they have a journal with them writing all their sets and reps out. If they're teaching, if they're in a yoga class, maybe they write a reflection after. Or maybe you give them a, a yoga log that they perform after class to keep them engaged so that they keep coming back. Same thing with your students in high school setting. You want them to be assessed through standards. So this is protocol, but not so much in yoga and strength and conditioning. But if you are a strength and conditioning or yoga coach, then you do definitely want to engage them somehow cognitively using some type of guide. 
okay? Maybe it's just a class where you're labeling body parts. Maybe you're just getting to know each other and you're getting to know the body a little bit further by you know, looking at anatomy and physiology. And there's fun, thing, fun things you can do at, at, in all different um, teaching instances. So providing instructional cues, guides, and feedback information, information about the student's skill performance, uh, inconsistent research findings in that, there's some generalizations. Uh, more feedback is better than less feedback. Um, so you don't want to give them too much feedback, but it's better to give more than less. So it's better to give them nothing, right? You don't want to just be silent. Specific feedback is better than general feedback. So when there's something specific about something that is off, then you need to be specific with something that is on, right? You can't just say um, if they're in the downward dog position and you want them to get their heels to the ground, but they can't because they don't have the mobility. You can't just say get lower. You might say, let's, you know, put your knees down, um, you know, now bring your knees up and make it more of a dynamic effort as opposed to um, go down and up, you know, or something general. So be specific, what, do you, what exactly do you want them to do? Corrective feedback is better than non-corrective feedback. So as long as your, um, as long as your uh, feedback is corrective, uh, it's better than non-corrective feedback. So don't give them feedback that is um, not meaningful, okay? Let me see if I recording, should be recording still, let's see here. All right, sorry about that. So um, novice learners need the most feedback. So your beginning students or the students that are unfamiliar with um, maybe it's their first class, maybe they're a freshman, maybe uh, they're a younger student or a younger classman who's never worked out or never gone to a class or worked or a yoga class before, they're gonna need the most feedback. And that's why it's really important to ask your students, especially the ones that you don't know are athletes, um, who that you know, what they know and make sure that they've taken the prerequisites to whatever they're about to do. So feedback, so a variety of teacher reactions to student behavior. Um, you can praise, uh, praise can increase and decrease student motivation. Uh, students need feedback. They assume they are correct unless told otherwise. Uh, most teachers give general praise and specific criticism and few studies link feedback with learning. So um, when it comes to feedback, remember that you're trying to give relevant, necessary, clear and concise feedback to the student that is relevant to their success. And, and hopefully it is specific enough that gets them that change their uh, movement pattern so that they perform the movement task more, more uh, with, with more success. So guidelines for appropriate teacher praise. Um, so here's some guidelines that you can read over. I'll read over a couple. So like praise should be specific. We've talked about that. Um, the teacher should praise students who respond well to praise. So, you know, if a student responds well to praise and they feel good about themselves, then you want to continue praising that student, okay? Some students might not really want or like to praise, okay? Uh, must, most praise should be private. So if you are going to praise students, you know, most of it should be private. So you're not just praising that individual in front of everyone all the time. And, um, Praise should attribute effort expenditure to intrinsic motivation. So whenever you praise someone, you wanna make sure it's done with, with their intrinsic motivation uh, at stake here, because if, if somebody is um, you know, externally 
motivated by um, you know trophies and awards and ceremonies as opposed to the joy and, and complete um, um, you know taking of the game or activity then you might not want to praise that individual but if you're praising them because you can tell they have a deep felt compassion for what they're doing it's going to be important we're going to like that so we have national health and PE standards we have national standards national health standards and effective physical ed educator edu education indicators so all three here um, I'd like you to run um, click through these uh, different um, links and check out the different standards that um, physical education teachers look at and we'll go ahead and take an example here okay so shape America society of healthful um, and health and physical education teachers educators okay these are grade level outcomes for k through 12 students so if i ask you to go back to this and pick out some standards you might have to run through here and look at some let's just go an example for uh, fitness knowledge or you know participates in a variety of aerobic fitness activities using technologies such as dance dance revolution or we fit um, these are just some um, different types of um, learning outcomes uh, for the different grades. Okay, and this is based on fundamental appropriate movement skills in the K through 12 education path uh, in nationally. So when you're looking at how students learn and what they learn, this right here is the the um, shape indicator or the shape template for teachers to use when they're looking at standards. Okay. There's also national health standards, which are a little bit more, uh, oops, it's the same one. I might have to change that link. And we also have the indicators here. So these are 20 indicators of an effective physical education instructor or instruction. And you can go over curriculum, appropriate instruction, student assessment, beginning of class procedures, end of class procedures, and policy and environment. So this would be another checkoff box for evaluators to look at you while you're teaching. So when you are teaching, this is what you might be evaluated on. All right. So we've gone over some uh, national standards. We also have state standards. Uh, and these standards are what physical education teachers use from K through 12. And this is the basis for the movement that we teach all the way up till ninth grade here. So this would say nine for ninth grade. And so it might be a little bit more advanced. So contrast between appropriate and inappropriate strategies seek greater independence from adults when completing assigned tasks. So that's more of a behavioral strategy. Um, now, if we get into uh, understanding the importance of achieving and maintaining a health enhancing level of physical fitness, you're gonna see use physiological indicators of, to adjust physical activity. So indicators such as sweat, indicators such as heart rate, right? So this is a little bit more advanced. So all these clarifying objectives and standards, these are all um, what most teachers use in the beginning of their lesson planning, and you're gonna be learning how to use these in lesson planning in the future. So the teacher's use of time, what do students and teachers do? So we're instructing 15 to 20% of the time, we're managing less than 20%, and we wanna monitor and practice for over 50%. We want to give feedback for from three to 16 percent 
And that's what basically, that's what basically teachers are doing the whole time. You know, we're instructing, managing, monitoring practice, and we're giving feedback. Those would be the four main things that teachers, highly effective, are going to focus on when they're teaching their students. Okay, here's an example of Watson School of Education and how they would um, evaluate an intern in the physical education and lifetime fitness uh, department. Um, so looking at strengths, equipment set up ahead of time, good use of space, activities, good warm up, circulating, giving feedback, high student time on task, positive atmosphere in the gym, good energy level, professionally dressed, review at the end, good rapport with students, activities, match lesson plan, and activities align with national or North Carolina standard course of study. So those are the North Carolina standards. So when teachers teach, that's what evaluators are looking for. Okay, now things to consider. So checking for understanding, you can always maybe check for understanding. Look at this, there's even a percentage time talking, practicing and management. Okay, so you can, as an evaluator, look and see how long are the students practicing? How long is their talk time or instruction? And how long is their management? Okay, things to consider, you know, obviously checking for understanding, keeping your back to the wall, circulate around the outside of the stations. So obviously you wanna make sure that you can see all students at all times, because as soon as you turn your head, you never know what's gonna happen. Now answer individual questions to the whole class. So if one person asks you a question, make sure that you answer it to the whole class and not just back to that one student. Um, and you can read more if you'd like to as well. And some here, more intern progress reports, okay? And, and what they're evaluating the teacher on and how they're being evaluated. And now those will be things that you can go on in your own time if you'd like to understand what teachers are being evaluated on, but most of you, um, it won't be relevant for. So if you're not going into physical education and health, you won't ever have to worry about this specific form, but it's good to know what teachers are evaluated on in physical education, because if you wanna be a highly effective yoga trainer, if you wanna be a highly effective strength and condition coach, if you wanna be a highly effective personal trainer, you have to be a highly effective physical education teacher first, because that's where all the uh, credentials, standards, and certifications grew out of. Okay, so all those other professions, exercise science, it came out of physical education. It came out of all that. So to be a good you know, physical educator, you have to learn um, you know, how to instruct, how to manage, how to monitor your practice, and how to give the appropriate feedback, okay? Um, that's gonna be it for today on effective teaching. We're gonna go more in depth in lesson planning and assessment in future lectures. I hope you enjoyed this and I hope you have a great day. Thanks a lot.